circa 1990. It's your boy Yvonne. And I'm LaDante. We are the founders and managing partners of New Age Capital, an early stage venture capital firm investing in dope tech startups founded and led by black and Latino entrepreneurs. We've known each other for mm, 10 years now. And over the last decade, we've made it through college. We turned up, we traveled, survived corporate America, and started a couple companies together, ultimately leading us to where we are today. New Age Capital is the culmination of our passion for entrepreneurship, coupled with our deep frustration with the lack of venture capital invested in Black and Latino communities. Also, there was really no venture brand out there that connected with us on a cultural and interpersonal level, so we decided to create something dope that was authentic to our lifestyles. Little did we know, raising a fund is hard as No, but seriously though, raising a fund? It's hard as f But we still out here though. So on our journey to build a new age capital, we decided to highlight some of the amazing entrepreneurs we met along the way. This is Chopping It Up. Today, we're talking to Julian Rodriguez. Julian is the co-founder and CEO of Bazaar, an online marketplace that allows bodega and small restaurant owners to place food inventory orders through their online marketplace. The goal is to empower small business owners to make better purchasing decisions and increase margins. This industry is ready to be digitized as the process for ordering and delivery is extremely time consuming, prices are often inaccurate, and there are no analytics around consumer behavior and product demand. The grocery industry is undergoing a shift from analog to digital as grocers are using everything from smart shelf labels to AI to improve the grocery experience. In 2017, CB Insights reported that over $1.5 billion of funding was poured into optimizing grocery operations through technology. Things like real-time shelf monitoring, interactive displays, digital labels, in-store music management, smarter receipts, in-store shopper insights, promotion optimization, and store management are improving the way retailers run their businesses. The acquisition of Whole Foods by Amazon has begun creating intense pressure on small business owners and local grocers who will need technology tools themselves to compete. Let's go talk to Julian to see how Bazaar is changing lives for small business owners in New York. All right, so uh, you know we're here in the building with uh, Julian today, uh, founder CEO of Access Bazaar. Um, thanks for joining us, man, on the inaugural season of Chopping It Up. Um, you know we've known each other for uh, a little bit now, and we've kind of been seeing how you've been building this company. Um, and uh, uh, it's in a really interesting space uh, that has a lot tied to who you are and your roots and, and uh, you growing up. So. Thanks for joining us today, and um, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, guys, thank you for having me. Uh, I think this is great. Uh, so before we get into too much about you know what you guys are doing, um, the type of company you're building, talk a little bit about you know who is Julian Rodriguez. You know what <laughs> to the world. You know who is Julian Rodriguez. Where are you from? Tell us a little yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so I'm actually a single child. Um, I have no I have no brothers and sisters on my. Uh, mom and dad um my father passed away when i was young so my mom you know raised me by herself um we moved into the inner city uh when i was about 10. and so the inner city is here in the bronx right and uh so that was uh that was different it was it was very different uh but at the same time 
you know, I had came, I came from the suburbs and, and sort of seeing people who didn't really look like me and then come to the city, everyone looks like me. And so I was, ha I, I was happier and felt more comfortable. Um, and then I guess as a young person, you know, growing up, I, I didn't, I, it was difficult to begin to unpack sort of why certain people uh, were disadvantaged for seemingly no real reason. Right. And so I think, you know, being able to see sort of two, two sides of the same coin um, has really shaped the way that, that I act and the way that I think today as an adult. Um, so, you know, did you grow up with entrepreneurs in the family or people with an entrepreneur mindset? Like, where did you start to develop that bug to, to want to do that? So, yeah, you know, my, uh, so my parents are immigrants. And so my dad, my dad got here in the... In, where were they from? Uh, so my parents were the Dominican Republic. Okay. Yeah, both yeah. of them. So, right, uh, today, and this is kind of where the company comes out of, right? Like, today is a lot of taxi drivers, a lot of bodega owners, yeah. right? And so my dad never owned a bodega, but he had sort of like a taxi cab company, which was really just him and his friends and their cars and beepers. Right? Mm -hmm. Back then, back in the day, <laughs> yeah. so like you beep in and... You know, and my mom was the one on the phone, you know, logging like, oh, this person needs to be picked up at this place, he's going to this place, cost this much. And I think to me, it's just something normal because honestly, the difference is my parents had no choice, right? right. Nobody was giving them jobs, right? Yeah. So, so I just thought, okay, I guess, you know, you gotta, you gotta make things happen. You gotta, you, you have to do stuff. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I tried to sort of stay out their way, you know, go to school and everything, kind of not bother them too, too much. But I think, I think the sense of, you know, hey, you can build something from nothing was always around me, mm -hmm. right? Because even if it wasn't my dad directly, he knew people who were doing the same thing, right? Yeah. Who did own a bodega, who, yeah. you know, partners in a laundromat or something like that. And I could tell that they weren't rich because of it. Right, mm. like nobody was, you know, balling out of control. <laughs> but, but you know, they 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 still had this thing that they felt like they had to maintain. Right, right? like that they were the only ones held accountable for. If they woke up and opened the store, that's when it that's when it opened. You know, and if not, you know, and they owned this thing, like it was their thing. thing. Right, they had full control right. and ownership over. Right. 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 I think, you know, and, and I think that's, you know, I never really sort of glamorized the whole entrepreneur side of things, mm -hmm. simply because from what I see, so I don't know any millionaire entrepreneurs, right? Like, well, now I do because I meet a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, you know, before this, I'd never, I, you know, sure, I heard of people who call themselves entrepreneurs and CEO this, president that, and have this and this and that. And I'm like, yo, dude, we're in the same situation. We both have monthly Metro cards. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, so. So, you know, I think I think for me, it was just really more like, hey, look, you know, I want to I want to build something really, really big. I hear that certain people get these chances to build something big. So, you know, let's see if if I could put together the right team, the right materials, the right concept, understand a big enough market. And you know, see if someone wants to jump in here and you know help out. And, and, and I mean, in the case of like investors, uh, because I definitely knew from the beginning um, this was going to be near. Specifically, what we do was going to be near to impossible uh, without venture capital. Um, and I mean, you know, we have a lot of non-digital competitors, and um, they've built their businesses over the course of 20, 30, 40 years, right? And so. 
no one wants to do that. Like, mm. no, no one in our age group, A, and no VC wants to hear that right. <laughs> story. Yeah. You know, 20 years to become a million dollar company. You know, so um, I think it was just collecting what has existed, that infrastructure, and saying, hey, look, this is how we could beeline to success, right? Like, doing these specific things with your capital and building technology, we can hurry and accelerate this. So what, what is Access Bazaar? What are you guys building? What's the story behind it, you know, and, and kind of take us through the journey of ideation to first MVP all the way to, you know, kind of where you guys eventually change it to Bazaar, right? Yeah, so that's it, kind of like our DBA. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just, you know, we, we, we had a group that helped us with sort of branding and the logo and the front end design. And they were just like, ah, logos with two words don't kind of really work. You just make it one. And so we, you know, we're like, okay, yeah, we intended Bazaar. We couldn't, we didn't register just Bazaar because like, Bazaar is a pretty common word. And you know, Harper's Bazaar owns Bazaar.com. So we're probably not getting that anytime soon. Um, so then it was just like, okay, you know what? Um, it was either like, oh, shop Bazaar, get Bazaar. And they're like, yo, access. Well, it starts with an A. So we'll be on the top of any list because it's A. So we just went with access. Um, because, because we have B2B clients, I don't think they really care. Uh, what the company's called. I just was looking for something that people could say in English and Spanish. Bazaar is that word uh, that could be said in English and Spanish. I don't know about access. Access is a little funny. But, you know, um, yeah, it, it, I, we didn't really put too much thought into it. Tell us the journey. Well, you know, what you found, was it a problem that found you or did you find a problem? I mean, like, clearly you grew up, you know, in an area where bodegas have, or are. So, Tell us how everything, you know, even started. You know, so we saw how Uber and Lyft did an excellent job digitizing and monetizing the taxi space, right? Like it literally changed people's lives. Like right. Dominicans Absolutely. drove taxis. Like that's what everyone was doing. And it immediately meant now every Dominican dude had a smartphone. <laughs> he knew how to use GPS. He was getting payments to his bank account, right? On time, no matter what. Um, he was controlling his own hours, and he had a steady stream of clients. He never had to worry. He knew if he was just out in the street, he's going to get something. Right. And have to, you know, chase people down, be in a hot spot or something, you know. And so we saw, we saw how it changed people's lives, right? Like there's, 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 there's little nuances, man. Like everybody, everybody in the Dominican community before it's changed, but you used to have a cardboard box in the living room, right? Because that's where you would put all the stuff and send it back to DR. Right, so it's, so it's little things like that that you, you begin to see sort of changing. And, and I, I'm telling you guys, like Uber and Lyft and, you know, technology definitely did that. Now, cool, there were attempts of the community itself to fight that off, right? There, there, were, there were smaller taxi cab companies trying to do what they could. And yeah, those people, you know, sort of have been encompassed by uh, Uber and Lyft. But my perspective on it is, Uber and Lyft employ way more taxi drivers than those taxi cab companies did. So, you know... Um, so, was it, so was it this surgence? I mean, I guess in terms of how the formulating Wall's company, was it like, okay, you guys are starting to see the surge of technology changing lives. Mm -hmm. There's something to, there's something to how our communities are changing for the better. Right. There has to be, there's something, was there something you all tapped into that realized like, Oh well, if we enable technology in this field, this can, there's more and more of our people in our community that can be able to have those steady checks. So it's going to streamline the processes of whatever they're doing. Yeah, yeah, and that was the whole point, 
right? So like I mentioned before, if they weren't taxi drivers, they were small business owners. So we're like, who's doing this for small business owners? And we didn't know anybody. Like, n- none of the small business owners we knew were working with tech at all, right? And so we said, okay, we'll do it. We'll, we'll build it. And, you know, Yazer has had an entire career as a software engineer working for other venture-backed startups. And uh, he was in a transition, and, and, and we met. I was working at a, 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 at a startup at that time. And we had maybe a little too much access to conference rooms. And so I was like, yo, Yazer, come, you know, come meet me here. Oh, and yeah, dude, it came literally out of the WeWork and Charging Bull down on Wall Street. And we were just in a conference room and, you know, um, it was actually a hackathon on that day. And just being in that buzz, just, you know, constantly throwing ideas around, we're just like, you know what, let's do it now. It's the best chance we have. Um, I had already, I had already gotten very comfortable being poor, like, you know, not really having a lot of money. And that definitely came in handy during that whole first year from like, okay, idea to like getting funded. Um, so it was, there was no change in my life um, that would like impact me or make me second guess the situation or, you know, switch paths or whatnot. And, and so, what you were gonna say? No, 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 and so, um, you know, I, we sat around the table and said, hey, what can we build for people in our community? And, you know, I, I committed to finding that out, sitting down with, with Bodega, you know, owners on milk crates, talking to them in between, you know, everyone coming in and everything and trying to really understand, well, how can we help you? And, you know, when we first started, it was very different. It's nothing like what we did right now. Uh, it was inventory management software. And uh, for them, right, we, wanted, we thought that they wanted to know what was on their shelves or like, you know, what, what they were just buying. And then we realized that there's a reason they don't know that, because there's no tech anywhere in the whole procurement process. Right. Right? So when they get something into their store, it's fly-by-night kind of stuff. It's written on a piece of paper or just off the top of their heads. You know, they don't, you know, they don't have a, you know, like scanners. A and, yeah, you yeah. Know, so we realized, like, oh, shit, right? tech at this level isn't really going to work. And they told us, they said, this is awesome, but I'm never going to pay you for it. Mm. And so then what we decided, we asked them, we said, hey, all right, what's the hardest part of running your, your small business? And they told us that getting their goods into their store was the hardest part. Um, yeah, so the worst part is rent, apparently, but the hardest part is them getting their goods on a consistent basis. And so these are, these are businesses that, you know, either like a bodega that buys things, put it on shelves so people can, can buy it, or restaurants, right, pizzerias, cafes that put ingredients together to produce a product and sell it. Right. Um, and so there has to be a constant flow. And they live and die by those margins, right? And so historically, the existing infrastructure that services those businesses doesn't care about their margins, right? They care about their own margins. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's cool, right? I mean, I guess that's the way things work. But today, that's not how things work, right? Like Amazon doesn't care about its margins. It cares about increasing market share. I sometimes wonder why uh, more people aren't as excited about that concept because it works. We know it works. That's what Jet.com did. That's what Box did. It works. The only way to really, and you guys could quote me on this, the <laughs> only way to grow a marketplace is by 
sacrificing margins for market share. If you're thinking about building a high margin marketplace, making sure everybody gets paid, it's not gonna go anywhere because people are not gonna pay a premium for a new entrant into a market, but more importantly, they're not gonna pay a premium for an online offering. They wanna buy things online because they think they're getting lucky. Um, that, you know, that from, that, from my experience, that's what I see, right? So let's dig into the marketplace a little um, and, and building marketplace businesses. Uh, speak about both sides of the marketplace um, that you guys are working with and what the go-to-market strategy was in bringing those, you know, they always say you have to hack, you know, early on one or both sides of the marketplace. Talk about, you know, the, those both sides and, and how you guys were hacking your way, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So, right, our platform on the front of it, it, lo- it operates like an e-commerce platform. People come in, kind of, right, like Amazon, they look for what they want, add it to cart, we tally up the total. And, you know, they pay for it online and they receive the next day delivery. We do next day deliveries. And so, um, you know, pretty much we, we wanted to build different things into the platform that will help the small business understand what they're buying on a monthly basis, how much it's costing them, recommend, recommendations. We have, we have a huge roadmap and we've decided to be customer focused on purpose. The supply side has existed for 100 years, right? There, there are wholesale distributors with you know, dark warehouses all around the US. I think the actual number is there's 300,000 of them. And uh, only 2,000 out of the 300,000 are doing more than, uh, I, I think it's like more than 2 million in sales. Right? So, it's, so not, even, the, even the distributors themselves are hyper fragmented. There's an industry leader, so we focus on the food service sector, right. restaurants and bodegas. There's a leader, Cisco Foods is the leader. They're a $30 billion privately held company, a publicly held company, and the New York Stock Exchange and everything, $30 billion. They have 9% market share, wow. right? Wow. So, so th- this is a, it's a huge, huge market. And um, over the past couple of decades, everybody's been trying really, really hard. Um, I mean, in particular, you know, I didn't, if I, if I would have known better, I would not have picked this industry. Right? <laughs> I think we all say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's a fact. Because <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely a difficult, difficult industry, you know, uh, and we're noticing that now. Um, you know, but I think that there's a lot to, we can do, and especially, like I said, that having that customer focus there where, because um, the supply side always wants to sell. And what's really happening in the supply side is the sale goes to whoever has the most things on hand. So it comes down to warehouses, right? And so there's no real intelligence there. The, the distributor has very little knowledge of who's buying from them, uh, how, sort of why they're buying, where else they're buying. There's no feedback loop. The only feedback loop is they might send a rep to you in person and be like, hey, please, please, please buy again, right? Like, you know, please don't notice that we, you know, it's five, you know, two percent more expensive this month than last month. Please buy again. Don't buy from those other guys. Buy from us. That's the, you know, that that's the way that they really relate and talk to their customers. Versus, I mean, generally, I don't want to sell fish. I don't want to sell celery. I want to understand what the problems that the small business is incurring at that moment. I want to know what we could do to really solve those things. Um, okay, so talk about how you got some of your early customers um, on both sides. 
Yeah, so we, once, once the small businesses told us, hey, getting ourselves is the hardest part, we kind of you know, went up the rabbit hole and went to go see, okay, what are they doing now? Who are they working with? And so we discovered all these sort of warehouses. We tried, we tried really hard to you know, talk to them and show them like, hey, you, know, you don't have to buy a platform. We'll make it. Just let us know how we can sort of fit in between the transaction, where we would be most helpful for you. Right? Because we already know what the demand side wants. So, okay, we went up to the supply side. What do you want? And, you know, what we got back from most of them is like, no, no, no I'm good. I just want to sell. And, you know, people come and I'm selling now, so I don't need your help. Um, of course, these were some of the smaller suppliers. And, yeah, they don't need our help because they're not doing that well anyway. And, you know, they, they, they're very busy and it's very hard to run their businesses. So they probably heard a million people who are like, oh, uh, I'll do this thing for you, you know, pay, you know, and I'm going to change your life. And, you know, it's either scam or just not, you know. So I wasn't surprised there. But we eventually got to who today is our biggest partner. And they're a, they're a serious multi-billion dollar company. Um, I think they have like maybe 4% market share. Um, you know, but um, they were a little more open than sort of everyone else, right? But they have a very specific hierarchy. And uh, we got a meeting with sort of like a regional director uh, within the organization. Um, and then so at that time, we had already completed our MVP for what this sort of e-commerce would be like. And so we showed it to him and we were like, this is what we want to make, right? We have people who are ready to buy right now, even though we didn't. Right? But I'm like, yo, we have people who want to buy right now. They use this right right now to buy your stuff. You don't have a website right now, mm -hmm. so this could be it. They liked it, and they said, hey, you know, we've got office space in the Bronx. You guys are from the Bronx. You guys should go there. And we're like, wait, so you're going to give us office space? Okay, cool. So we showed up to the Bronx, and we just started trying to digitize their offerings. So we, so we were offering to do all this free work up front. Um, and then once that happened, it became real, right? Like we were, we were in the warehouse every day, taking pictures of certain items, you know, writing new lines of code, pushing out different features, uh, making this a real, a real, a real serious solution. And so I think with that excitement, I was excited to be taken seriously mm -hmm. by a billion dollar company. And I think it, that excitement, you know, we knew we were going to have to raise money. And... I'd always heard about VCs. I was like, okay, you know what? Cool. I'll just go out and try to talk to these people. And there was one guy that stuck out in my head. Because he's the first, I think he's the first VC I ever heard of. And it was uh, Charlie O'Donnell from Brooklyn Bridge Ventures. And uh, I don't know what it was about him before I met him, right? That was like, yo, you got to talk to that guy. But like everything in New York, I think at that time was like, yo, you got to talk to this guy. And... Um, so we met, and the process of raising money from Charlie took like four months. And, you know, it was, just, it was just multiple touch points, me focusing on what we were doing, and, you know, keeping him up to date and what we wanted to do, how much money, you know, we thought it would take to, to really do it. So can you, um, that's, that's really interesting that uh, that process you went through. Uh, I think it's really important, though, for you to discuss a little bit 
what that process was like. There are a lot of founders out there, similar to you, similar backgrounds, that are getting into the entrepreneurship game, know nothing about venture capital, raising money, venture debt, mm -hmm. loans, all that. Uh, and, and, you know, quite frankly, some of them are hesitant to even broach that world. They may think it's predatory or whatever. Um, explain a little bit about your process in, you know, discovering, all right, what a VC was, how to research them, and then how to start reaching out to them. Um, I had, like I said, I had just heard of a couple names, like honestly, like four people. So I knew it was a thing. I knew, I knew this is how sort of like companies like Facebook got started, right? right like, right. And, and you see it in like the, the movie when he visits Peter Thiel and everything, right? So like, I knew that, that it was out there. In terms of New York, I didn't know, you know, I thought Brooklyn Bridge Ventures was ground zero. I didn't even know about like Union Square Ventures. Right? I didn't even right. know, mm -hmm. like I was just like, uh, like that was way over <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, anything that I could really perceive at that time. And so, you know, I think what I decided to do was then literally just sort of, then just Google, right? Like, okay, VC, New York City, right? New York City VC, whatever it is. Um, I used, oh, this is, this is an interesting one. I used Meetup. Mm. Yeah, I used Meetup and I would search for anything that said angel or VC. And I went to every single one of them. And, you know, there, there are angels that you would never even consider. Right. And so it literally came, I was, I was in Riverdale, and you know, Riverdale's deep in the Bronx. And the guy canceled the meeting. So I was like, yo, I'm not just gonna turn around and go home, cause it's like, you know, like Riverdale's like, super up there. I'm like, yo, I'm not just going to waste this, this as a trip. So I, I, I'm literally walking under the train about to go into the station and I'm on my phone looking up Meetup like, okay, what's going on in the city? You know? And there were two events. And one event was like with four people, four angels, and one event was with one. So I was like, wait, this is one event with one angel. This person must be really important. And so I went to the one with, with, with the one. And um, I'm like, I pulled out my wallet because it was like, you had to pay like $20 to go in and everything. And I show up, it's packed. I'm in the overflow room. I didn't even actually get wow. in the room. And all of a sudden this person, you know, it's a woman, she, she, she starts talking about um, funding startups from people who have different perspectives because they come from different backgrounds, right? And, you know, this was the first time that I heard someone say, like specifically say, you know, not just say minorities, right? She specifically said you know, African-American, Latino, in, in separate, not like all together, like in separate examples. Yeah, right, right. So you nobody know, said that. You know? Yeah. Right. Nobody so, so she was the only All the person. others. Right. Right. No, yeah, that's how it goes out. Diverse. We <laughs> all are diverse. Yeah. yeah, so she was very specific. And it felt like to me, like, wait, she actually speaks to these people. Mm -hmm. You know, she's had a... Um, I always mess this up, LBGTQ person in front of her, pitching an idea, talking about something that she didn't know about. And, and, and she, could, she, can, she could appreciate that. So I said, yo, I gotta talk to this person. And it turns out that person was Joanne Wilson. Yep, yep. So, you know, from that moment, I didn't actually get to speak to her at the event. Um, it's funny, cause she's, she's a pro, so she knows, you know, she's, she creeped out the back door, no one can talk to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she wasn't happy. It was all the curveballs. Yeah, yeah. And 
And so I'm like going crazy, you know. And, and at the time, we had a, a, a lawyer. Well, I'm not going to put quotation marks. He's a lawyer. Um, <laughs> he's, a, he's, a he's legit. He's, he's legit. A lawyer. <laughs> we had a lawyer that came through like a recommendation, you know. But he's a guy in New Jersey. So, you know, we didn't really get to meet or anything. And, you know, um, you can ask a lawyer just flat out. Ask him. Be like, hey, look. Do you work on a deferment status? Like, you know, can can we pay you if we raise money because you know we don't have any money now? And there are there are a shit ton of lawyers that will do it. That's normal practice. Yeah, you should not be scared to mention that because if he doesn't want to do that, if he doesn't have a time in his life to do that, he's just gonna say no. Correct. And there's a thousand other dudes who's gonna say yes. Right. So this just happened to be somebody that we got intro to and just said yes, but I don't really think he thought we were gonna raise money. And uh, I remember I was calling him. His name is Greg. I remember I was like, yo, Greg, you know, like he's just asking me, like, hey, how's the fundraising going? And I was like, yeah, man, you know, I, um, I, sp- I saw this woman, um, you know, her name is Joanne Wilson, and uh, she seemed like she, you know, that's somebody I really want to get in contact with, but, you know, and then he goes, oh, that, that's Fred Wilson's wife. And then by that time, I, I thought I knew who Fred Wilson was, and I was just like, I was like, come on, Greg, just because their last names are Wilson. <laughs> like, you know? And he's like, no, dude, I'm really serious. Yeah, I'm sure that this is the right person. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And so then I look it up, and, and I'm like, yeah. they're, they're married, right? Yeah. And um, I'm like, oh, crap. Now I got it. I got to get in touch with her. And, dude, for the life of me, I couldn't find, like, an email. I'm like, looking like, okay, you know what? I, if I'm going to focus on any one person, I really need to focus on this person. And I spent like three, four days trying to find it. And it's right on her blog. Mm-hmm. Like it's in the about me section. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's in big, bold letters on the top. Like she's not hiding it at all. But I guess I, I mentioned that just, to, you know, going back to the idea of, I think a lot of people think this is really, really hard or super out of reach. Yeah. And it, 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 it's not. It's going to take some determination, right? And that's all it is because, look, it took me yeah, four research. days. Yeah. Right. It took me four days for something that is was objectively super simple to do like anyone could have done it mm-hmm. but it, the fact that you know day one passed i didn't get it for whatever reason but then i tried again day two and then day three day, day four that's what this really comes down to man it, you know when people ask me you know what what sort of makes a good co-founder or a good tech startup or you know success or whatever um you know what's funny I don't even consider myself in the light of success. I see myself as I'm trying to be successful. Right. Um, but what I really think it comes down to, like, honestly, dude, to me, it's not, it's not skill. Um, it's not background, bank account, or connections. It's sheer, and this is for everything. This is not just for entrepreneurships or, 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 or starting a, a, a tech startup. I, I believe this for everything now because th- my situation has proved it to me. It's sheer willpower and determination period anybody who focuses on that is going to get whatever it is that they want it you know some people call it the law of attraction and stuff like that if you're thinking about something for a really fucking long time it's going to happen because that's all you're thinking about that's all you want you wake up every day you want it everybody you talk to you're talking about that right right right. everywhere you go is because of that so it's going to happen it's going to happen that's real I never, I have never bet against someone, even, even employees and whatnot, and I don't see it as in giving people a chance. I just see everybody as having a limited potential. 
Mm. Right? I think the difference is some people just choose to either stop or not. And when they stop, oh, shit didn't work out. Right? But, I mean, Google hires a, a bunch of A-plus, a you know, employees that don't work out, too. So, at the end of the day, it, you know, it, it's all... When you look at it in hindsight, man, like, it's super easy to say, oh, I could have done that better. Or, oh, maybe I should have made this choice and this and that. But, yo, <laughs> the, the future only goes to the people who, who do, not the people who, who regret or think that they're going to do something, you, you know? So, yeah. In terms of unlimited potential, uh, it made me think back to what you said when you guys were starting the company, whereas you had this idea about how things were going to be. We're going to build this digital platform for these individuals, but they're like, nah, we're good. Like, we, that, we're not even, we wouldn't pay you for it. How was it, because even with that, you had this idea of how things worked out, but it had to go in a different direction. Psychologically, how did that, how did you all cope with that? And how were you able to kind of manage that pivot shift and then continue to raise that? So I was lucky. The startup that I was at before this was a, a company called Product School. And so they were kind of like General Assembly, you know, where General Assembly is like one of these places that, you know, has courses for everything, UX design, software engineering, right, kind of mini courses. And product school focused just on product management. And so it's the reason why you see on Facebook, like, they are constantly changing stuff, constantly rolling things out. Sometimes they have, like, your friend has one, one view of Facebook, you have a total different one, you're like, yo, what's going on? The best tech companies are constantly iterating, constantly changing. So before we even started the project, I already went in there with the mindset that I'm going to want to change things. And so if things change on me, even better. I didn't have to, I didn't have to think of something new to do. Uh, <laughs> right? So I was always, from the beginning, I was always open, I was always open to that. Uh, and then later on, now, as I think about where we are as a company, the way that I contextualize it is... Um, I believe startups don't fail. It's not because of a lack of money or market or some other thing. Uh, I think, you know, startups fail because the, the founders eventually give up, right? Because you can, from my perspective, you can pivot into, into profitability. You can pivot your company into anything, something, something's going to make money, There's n right? Um, but if you're not, if you think that, that first thing that you're thinking about is what's gonna be right, is what's gonna work, you're gonna fail immediately. Obviously you're very proud of your Dominican culture and you talk about it a lot and how it's influenced you. Can you talk about it in terms of, you know, how you think about building team culture and your company culture as you build your company now? You know, what are some strong anecdotes or influences, um, you know, that you hold near and dear and, and, and you incorporate into how you're building your company? Yeah, yeah, I, so, so, I think I took it more as in, I'm inclined to believe that people of color are intelligent. I mean, I better, right? Because <laughs> they're, they're not saying that I'm stupid, right? You know, so, so when I see people of color, I never, I'm not the one second guessing them. You know, so if, if subconsciously they make me feel happier, they make me feel better, you know, that, that's a personal bias, but that just means I'm gonna be talking to more of them. So if I'm talking to more of them, it's just the higher chance that I'm going to hire one of those. Now, versus when you look in sort of the, the, the pool, I mean, I'll give you guys a perfect example. You know, operations have been very difficult at our company, right? We've turned into, we're heavy operations now. We do next day deliveries, right? We have people that are, are, are picking things. And 
we have two instances where I've, I've wanted to hire like a management level position for operations, right? Maybe right under COO level because I wasn't really sure if we needed a full fledged COO. And I was at a I was at a I was at an investor pitch event one summer, and this was like the after party thing, you know, with a bunch of food and you know, cocktails and stuff like that. And there was one guy. And I, and I think about this consciously. I don't want to be the guy that I, I'm just talking to other people of color because I'm a person of color. But I don't know. He was there. Nobody was talking to him. We started talking. Mm-hmm. This guy all of a sudden said, tells me, so he's MIT kid. I graduated from MIT. Tells me that he was, he was working at this big partner that I told you guys. He was, he was corporate there. And I was just like, dude, this is crazy. What are the chances? Right. And so, you know, we started, you know, we started talking back and forth. So he was also a co-founder of something else that he was trying to do that was not in food service. And uh, we, you know, we hit it off and we were talking. And at the end of the day, he, he got a job offer that was really, really good. He couldn't pass up. So he didn't he didn't really stay with us. Um, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. Right. Like I out of that whole room of people. I don't know. Shit. He could have been there with his whole department. It could be 15 other people that would have yeah. been in the same position. Right. But because. I subconsciously felt slightly a little more comfortable around a, you know, speaking to a person of color at that moment. It unraveled, and you know, I discovered him. He discovered me, you know, et cetera. And like I said, he happened to be a really well prepared person. Right. Um, after that, the our, our, our managing director today, African American dude, from historically from the Bronx, born and raised. Uh, he used to be in enterprise IT. But, you know, he just showed a commitment to wanting to really work this operational process. And, you know, there's a lot of, so, so he had worked a big enterprise, so I needed someone who was going to do checks and balances and keep everything moving. And so, you know, it worked out. But, like, who would have given Mike uh, an operations job at a startup with your background being enterprise IT, right? So, like, you know, I just, I, and I, but I, I knew him, um, you know, and so that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think it's just, I, I don't generally walk around thinking that minorities are lesser. And right. so it just becomes natural to engage. Um, at the same time, I don't know if what's happening as well is, well, maybe a candidate, a Caucasian candidate, well-prepared, will think that me as a founder of a company, a founder of color, maybe that they shouldn't be working for me. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's the thing. Um, so it's hard in general. Um, you know, I think I think I think we've done a lot in our first year. Mm-hmm. So like our first year, we did 1.8 million dollars in sales in the first 12 months. Um, a true benchmark, because if you're constantly comparing yourself to fucking Facebook, I would be like, damn, bro, we suck. Yo, we suck, yeah. you know, and, and, and there's never, that's not a good place to be in. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do think maybe, especially if you're younger, and most likely if you're part of a minority group, um, confidence might be an issue. I don't think that for me particularly, confidence was a thing, uh, which is why I think I got that far, because I've always said, <laughs> for me, I'm... I'm confident, borderline delusional, yep. and 
you have to be at this stage. Welcome to the club. You know? <laughs> yeah, you got you gotta That's be, wrong. man. You gotta be. Because no one else is gonna no one else is gonna believe. No one else is gonna really see what you see. And you're gonna need that extra bit that falls into the delusional part to get you over That's the right. hard days. Absolutely. Right? Because your confidence is sure great on an easy day, but on the hard day, it's gonna come down a notch. And you need that little bit of delusion to get you over. And so, you know, um, you know, me and my co-founder specifically have sort of different ways of, uh, of thinking about things. And, you know, he, he's a very modest guy. And, you know, sometimes he wonder, like, oh, man, Julian, you got to be careful, you know. You might be full of hubris and everything. And I'm like, dude, like, we're the only ones pushing for ourselves. Like, we got to, we have to think this way, you know. And so I, I, I've tried to be very unapologetic about it. Because I know for a fact, and I would tell them all the time, I was like, man, if this shit didn't work, it wouldn't have worked for us, right? It worked out, so it's something we're doing right, mm-hmm. you know? And so, again, you know, I don't know. I've, I've had investors tell me, in California, I've had investors sit me down in a private room and say, you know, you know you're going to have to prove more than everyone else, right? Like, like seriously, not like, not like pandering or coming to another point. Like, he, like his point was to tell me that, yeah. you know? And so it's a thing. I, I know it's a thing. I, I know it's out there. And again, how do, you get, how do you get past that? If not just having an incredible amount of confidence and just saying, yo, you know what? I, that's a wall. It's a pretty good wall, but I'm going to still go through it. You know? <laughs> I, I mean, I think we can end it there, man. Yeah, was, yeah, I dropped perfect. a lot of jewels in there, man. Really <laughs> really no, good. this is great. This really is great. really appreciate, appreciate you sharing it, man. Yeah. Gang, gang. <laughs> Small restaurant owners. <clears throat> Damn. Prices are often inaccurate and there are no in. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, I got, I got, I got a million war stories. Because like I said, man, honestly, dude, all of this is really practical. But you just gotta keep at it. You just gotta keep at it. Thanks for kicking it with us this episode. To learn more about New Age Capital, check us out at newage.vc. Also, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for more dope content. Bless up.